Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Okay, um, I want to have, I want to put the spotlight uh, here on the world of the arts because obviously I have a vested interest in this. And I want to speak to uh, a lady who's very much associated with the arts, uh, Margaret Henry. And indeed, uh, she's the convener of the Arts Collaboration Network. Uh, Margaret, we're talking about the difficulties of getting the children back to school, uh, getting entertainers back on a stage or a drama back into production it's a challenge beyond most people at the moment I, I presume you're liaising with all and sundry to try and make progress are you making any well frank thanks for the opportunity to talk about this this morning we really appreciate it um the arts collaboration network we're a number of um arts organizations and we've been working together now for about three years just to the good of the sector but as COVID-19 took hold and as we started to realise just some of the huge impacts, we've been talking to, as you've said, all and sundry. So we've been talking right across the arts sector to all our colleagues, whether they are individual artists, creative facilitators whose income has been completely wiped. We're talking to our venues who, again, have lost literally millions of pounds of box office. We're talking to the arts organisations who create and promote the work. And we're talking to the people of Northern Ireland, our audiences and participants who come uh, to your events in the normal run of things and who are missing the opportunity to do so, but who are still extremely concerned uh, about the public health issues. So we've been talking a lot as a sector, I think in an unprecedented way, and today we're getting an opportunity to go up to the Department for Communities Committee to tell them about what we've been hearing and give them some idea of just the magnitude and the scale of the challenges that the arts and cultural sector and its audiences are facing. Do you think you'll get a sympathetic ear at Stormont, whether you're there personally or virtually? Does it matter? There's such a pecking order for the money, for the budget, for the demands on the public purse. The, the, the arts, it's so often been seen as the poor cousin. Well, that's, that's true. Um, but I mean, I have to say, I think, I think we are in times that we've never ever lived through before. And we're very conscious of the work that the government and particularly indeed Department of Health, Department for Communities have been undertaking in supporting, you know, some of our most vulnerable people in this major health crisis. But we have seen, you know, significant amounts of money given to other sectors, the business sector, for example, um, and that, you know, we're not saying we deserve 
more priority, but we're saying we certainly deserve the opportunity to be listened to. Because I think what's different about the arts and culture sector is that the benefits we bring to Northern Ireland society are both economic as well as social. And we need both an economic and a social recovery now for our people post-COVID-19. So economically, we create jobs. You know, the creative industries in Northern Ireland accounts for 43,000 of the Northern Ireland workforce. And obviously, people who work specifically in the arts are a huge part of that. So there are literally hundreds of jobs at risk. We also are important for sectors like tourism and hospitality. You look at somewhere like the Cathedral Quarter in Belfast. When it started, it was the artists who moved in there first. It was galleries, it was venues like the Black Box and the OES Centre, Belfast Community Circus. They were the people that brought that part of that city to life, as they've done in other cities and in other towns. Then the hospitality sector comes along, which is brilliant, adds to that experience, and we need each other. So if we're not there and the hospitality sector are trying to recoup some of their losses, then everybody is losing out. Tourism, a key economic driver for Northern Ireland, particularly over recent years. And Tourism NI themselves have said that those tourists that are coming to Northern Ireland, 4 million of them become engaged with the arts and culture here. And in 2013, more than 1 million people visited Derry, London Derry, when they were uh, UK capital of culture. And these are high spending tourists. These are people coming to Northern Ireland who have money in their pockets, They want to spend it on our culture. They want to spend it in our hospitality and our retail sectors. So they are really, really important. I mean, the value of that spend is about 400 million a year. And they're involved with arts and culture. The festivals and events, we have such a rich tapestry of festivals in every part of Northern Ireland, from the big showpiece festivals like the Maritime Festival and the Derry Jazz and Blues Festival, right through to Culture Night, right through to a number of very important community-led festivals. Those festivals are creating a return of £7 for every £1 of public investment. And they're attracting visitors, they're creating social cohesion, they're bringing families and neighbours together. And now more than ever, we need to come together. So the economic arguments for the arts are... But but, 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 Margaret, the the economic argument that you're putting is the economic argument that you would have put this time last year or... At Christmas, it's it's a it's a very strong argument. It is without doubt an argument that doesn't need to be challenged because the arts sector is vital in any healthy community. But this isn't a healthy community. This is a community that is at risk of a pandemic, and everything that you're describing involves people coming together to party, to yeah. enjoy, to experience. We, can, we can't do that at, at, at the moment. You're, you're, you're speaking like as if you don't realise that we have a problem. Uh, oh, we absolutely do realise we have a problem. And I think that's where we've seen the arts and culture sector so far rise to some of that problem. What has been fascinating to see has been that the demand for arts, culture and creativity actually increased during lockdown. And we saw local arts organisations respond to that demand. So, you know, we've been through this incredibly difficult period of being pretty much locked down at home. People have been struggling with homeschooling, struggling with keeping their their, uh, children amused, just struggling with being stuck in the house all the time and and the mental health challenges that brings. And arts organisations have adapted and have risen to meeting those needs. So everything from 
drawing rainbows to put in your window to support the NHS to we've had um, arts organisations like Arts Extra delivering food parcels, homeschooling kits and home craft kits to refugees, migrants and older people who've been shielding. So there's no doubt that arts organisations have responded to the lockdown and to the needs of people. Of course, and, and, positive, and positively, and Margaret, positively yeah. like that. They've, they've done some, some great things, but, but I'm talking Amazing. about making money. I'm talking about making money yeah. from, from, from the well, arts. It's not possible to go to the theatre. It's not possible to go to the theatre in the near future. It's not possible to put on a show in a marquee in the near future. But I, I can't help thinking that the, the open air seems to be the, the avenue. The open air, things that can happen outside. Um, the most recent example has been the drive-in movies or indeed the drive-in country concerts. Yep. Uh, yep. Is, is that something you have to consider, that things need to be in the open air? Because if you're out and about breathing the air, it's, it's, it's more healthy than being in the theatre. Yes. So all of those options are being considered. You know, there's no better sector at being innovative and coming up with ideas. And so things like outdoor events certainly are being considered. Now, there'll come a time in the year when that will bring its own challenges, given our our wonderful weather. But options like that are absolutely being looked at. And I know, for example, outside of care homes, um, Eastside Arts and Kabosh Theatre Company have been doing work in car parks of care homes for residents and staff mm-hmm. there. And that can be scaled up and done on a bigger scale. And as you say, there is the drive-in option. All of those things will absolutely be looked at. But that doesn't get away from the fact that we have, for example, significant numbers of arts and cultural spaces around the country that have been invested in and that are still incurring costs, even when they're closed that are, will struggle, as you quite rightly say, to bring anything like the numbers back in again whilst we still have this health pandemic to deal with. And so their viability is being very, very much threatened. And other governments around the world have recognised that. They've recognised the need to try and sustain our cultural venues and our cultural organisations through this pandemic, whilst at the same time supporting us to come up with new ideas and helping us to fund our originality and our innovation. So, you know, New Zealand, for example, they've launched a 90 million, 90 million pound programme to support the arts and music sectors in that country. In Canada, it's 300 million. We've seen a 50 billion package from Germany. And even closer to home, just at the end of last week, the government in the Republic of Ireland, um, they uh, announced a 25 million euro package for the arts sector down there to help them sustain through this really huge transitional period as we deal with the pandemic. And they're looking at further funding. Now, we're really hoping that the UK government will also come up with a package. But today we want to talk to our executive and the Department for Communities Committee about why it's important here. So there are examples around the world where governments are recognising what the arts bring, recognising the challenges that the arts are experiencing, recognising the fact that people need the arts to heal from this pandemic and recognising that while the arts will adapt and flourish, there is still a need to support them so that we can get back to those live experiences that we're finding, you know, over 90% of audiences are telling us that they're missing. They have huge health concerns about coming back into our venues, but they really do miss. They miss the buzz of the live. There's nothing like being in that auditorium 
And when the time is right, we will welcome people back to those theatres and music venues. But for now, we are absolutely adapting, but there are costs involved in that. It reduces our ability to earn income, so we need government support to help us to do that. Margaret, I think a lot of people will be nodding in agreement because a healthy art sector does reflect a healthy society and it's an important and vital arm within the, within the body of a country uh, when the arts is flourishing. It's a challenging time at the moment. I, I hope you're listened to by the Communities Committee today. Margaret Henry uh, there with us here on the programme. Of course, we get a sympathetic ear on any radio programme because we're all part of the arts, but the reality is when the arts flourish, I think we all flourish, and uh, when we help it to flourish, we're in good form and we're mentally in a better state as well. Uh, Margaret Henry uh, with us, Margaret. Thank you indeed. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.